But today is, is a big one. Uh, it's about heaven and earth and the new heaven and the new earth. Something that most of us don't know much about because we actually haven't experienced it. But the scripture gives us some insight into these, uh, this brand new thing that we're going to experience. If you're a follower of Christ, uh, you're going to get to experience the wonder, the majesty, the glory of the new heaven and new earth. And so if you have your Bible today, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we're going to get there in a few minutes. Uh, I'm going to read several other passages for you today, but we're going to kind of camp out in 2 Peter 3, and then we're going to read Revelation 21. But as I was thinking about uh, new heaven and new earth, if, if you get our weekly e-newsletter, uh, I hope that you have signed up for that. Uh, if you don't receive it, uh, you can go onto our website, firstbaptistfriendswood.org, under the resources tab, and there's a a place for you to put your email address, and uh, like the thousand other emails you get, uh, we'll add to that. Uh, but it, I talked about uh, this song from the 1980s, 1987, uh, actually, and so those of you that grew up in my era, uh, you know uh, the wonderfully talented Belinda Carlisle, uh, who sang that song, Heaven is a Place on Earth. And, and as I began to think about new heaven and new earth, I wondered, uh, are there a lot of songs about heaven? like in just pop culture, in the church world, that, that have heaven in their title. And, and amazingly, there are not very many songs in the Christian circle that have heaven in the title. We have lots of songs about heaven, but not very many use heaven in the title. Not the case in what we might call secular music. And so I want to just give you a sampling. The, these might bring back uh, nostalgic moments for you, M moments of your childhood, your youth. Uh, for those of you that are students, I'm kind of throwing you a bone with a few as well. So uh, I mentioned Heaven is a Place on Earth, 1987, all you 80s teenagers like me, uh, wonderful. And then Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I, I got a big reaction in the first service with that song, <laughs> which was uh, uh, awesome and scary at the same time. And then depending on uh, who your artist of choice is, uh, knocking on heaven's door, uh, Bob Dylan, or from the Lethal Weapon movie, Guns N' Roses. Uh, there, there you go, yeah. We're more excited about these songs than uh, the songs we sang earlier. Maybe we need to flip that around sometimes. Uh, Eric Clapton, a sad song, actually, uh, Tears in Heaven, about the loss of his son. Uh, then... Uh, for those of you that might be from a different generation, uh, the Righteous Brothers, rock and roll heaven. Now, wouldn't that be something? For you youngsters, uh, Halsey's Heaven in Hiding. And then uh, any country music fans in the room? You, yeah, you've yeah, got to be more proud than that. Um, <laughs> heaven South, Heaven South by Brad Paisley. And then uh, for all of our death metal fans, I know there's one of you in the room, <laughs> five finger death punch, wrong side of heaven. Uh, this song actually has a significant, I would encourage you to YouTube it. Uh, it's actually a song about veterans. Uh, it's a song, a tribute to veterans in homelessness. Uh, it's, it's actually very moving. Uh, and then... Uh, the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. Any big fans of them? If you want to go to heaven. 
if you want to get to heaven. And then the one song that probably encapsulates all of Christendom is uh, Eliza Hewitt. I know all of you know her name. Eliza Hewitt, When We All Get to Heaven. And so as you and I think about sort of pop culture's view of heaven, as we think about our own view of heaven, as we look at the, the eternity of what God has for those who would call on his name through Jesus Christ, what does it mean? What, what is it going to look like? How are we going to get there in this new heaven and new earth? And all of us uh, have questions. We want to know the detail. We want to know what it's going to be like, when it's going to happen, how all of this is going to come to fruition. And the truth is the Bible doesn't give us all those details. But what the scripture does give us, because if it did give us all the details, we wouldn't need faith. But what it does give us is a glimpse of God's activity now and for eternity. And so I'm going to read two passages of Scripture, actually the very two passages that sort of begin this idea of new heaven and new earth. Uh, they're found in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah uh, shares in chapter 65, verse 17 of his writing, this very first statement about a new heaven and a new earth. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. And then in the last chapter of that book on the next page in my Bible, Isaiah 66, 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. And then as we move to the New Testament, Peter, writing to the church, uh, describes uh, this new heaven and new earth and, and how it might come into, how it is going to come into being. And so if you've got your Bible open there to 2 Peter 3, I want to read verses 10 uh, through 13 for you. If you'll read along with me, it says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then in the final book of the Bible, you can turn a few pages over the second to last chapter, Revelation 21, John is writing about this vision that he has of what this new heaven and this new earth will be. As he begins chapter 21, he says it this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. As we've walked through these last few weeks about all things new, I want to remind us as we look at this uh, futuristic experience, as we look at, at what's coming in the days and the years and the eternity ahead, I want to remind us that it is God who creates all things new. He is the one that creates all things new. He is our creator, God. He's the one that created the current heavens and earth, and he is the one who will create the new heaven and new earth. And he is the one who has created you and me and all things that exist for his glory and for his honor. He has created all things new. And as we think about this new heaven and new earth, New heaven and new earth are not a restoration. They're, they're not something that's just been spit-shined, not something that we've put a new coat of paint on. No, it's all together new. That's what this concept of new heaven, that word new means all together new. We have a, a, a wonderful 2001 F-250 in our home. Not in our home, we own it. That would be a problem if it was in our home. But a beautiful F-250, the king cab, not, not, not the big, but, but F-250, 2001. It was my grandfather's. And, and when he passed away, it became ours, and our boys have been driving it. And it's great. We love it. It's got 290-something thousand miles on it. But we've always talked about, like, what if we were to restore this and make it new, and we could, you know, get some new paint. It's got some rust spots here and there. It's got some dings, the... the tool chest in the back is broken at the bottom, and so things have a tendency to fall out. There's a hubcap in the back, not ours, somebody else's. The interior is pretty good, but you know, it's old. It's 20 years old. And what, what would it look like if it was pristine and white? And we got some cool new rims. That'd be awesome. We could roll coal. I'm glad some of you got that. But, but that's not what this is. Because sometimes that's what we think about new. Like, I got a new shirt, or, or I made something old look new again. I, I restored a piece of furniture. God is in the creative business, creating all things new. And that's what he will do, is to create not just a better version of what we have. That's what sometimes we hope for, is that God will just create a better version of what we have. But no, he's going to create something altogether different. Our current heaven, and I don't mean heaven, the dwelling place of God, I mean the heavens, the starry sky, our galaxy, and our current earth, they are temporary the scripture says very plainly over and over again that where we are today and when we look up into the sky, that is temporary. Matthew tells us that. John tells us that. Peter is telling us that. It will be gone someday. And there will be something brand new in its place. 
And that something brand new will be different. And we don't know all the ways that it'll be different, but we know at least one way it'll be different. The scripture tells us that there will be no C, not the letter C, S-E-A-C. And I've wondered, why, why would God create something brand new and there not be ocean in it? Well, if you look at the book of Revelation, as you read through that book, in Revelation 13, there, there's a great apocalyptic kind of idea that's shared by John. That the sea is the place that the beast and the harlot emerge from. It's, it's the place of chaos and sin. And God, when he makes all things new, he will remove all sin, all chaos, all hurt, all pain. It's a day that we have to look forward to. That God's going to wipe away this temporary thing that we live in now. He's going to replace the chaos and the sin that all of us have to struggle with day after day after day. He's going to make something brand new. Brand new. Now when this brand new thing comes is up for debate. And Christians and scholars across time have debated on when this is actually going to happen. And if you have the answer, we will not listen to you. Because none of us know. But it's going to come sometime after Jesus returns to judge and to take up his bride, that is the church, that's you and me if we believe in Jesus as our Savior. This new heaven and new earth will be created sometime after that event when Christ returns to take his church and to judge the earth. And so are you ready for a new heaven and a new earth? Because this new heaven and new earth will last forever. And so do we look forward to that day with hope or do we look forward to that day with fear? Because we might be judged and find ourselves outside. Judged. Because even as I think about these artists who wrote all these songs about heaven, many of them have a, an inappropriate or an, an invalid view of heaven. Because most of them probably see something that we think of, some this, this whatever we think is best. And they ignore the, the consequence of sin, which is death and hell. So do we look at it with hope or with fear? Because this kingdom will last forever. This new heaven and new earth will last forever. It will be a kingdom that cannot shake, be shaken. The writer of Hebrews tells us that. It will never be shaken. It, it will never be defeated. It will never be attacked. It will never lose ground. It will be for all time, for eternity. Powerful and mighty. Full of righteousness. Second Peter describes it in, in verse 13 as a place where righteousness dwells. A new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. I'm confident they won't have Facebook. Because righteousness doesn't dwell there. And as I think about our culture, when we think about righteousness, being right with God, Doing the right thing. Being a person of purity and grace. Not of 
malice and revenge, being a person of humility, one who honors our heavenly father. That's not our world at all. That's not our communities. That's not our nation. We get angry over that thing that's on most of your faces. We get frustrated over who might be in power and who's not in power. We get angry because their business is doing better than my business in this current context. We get mad because they made the team and I didn't. And we harbor envy and jealousy and strife. We backbite. I'm just talking about us. Or this new heaven and new earth will be a place completely different because righteousness will dwell. It will live there. It will camp out. It'll be a, a permanent fixture of this new heaven and new earth. Completely different than our situation now. Completely different. I, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to that day when my own sin won't cloud me. Because it'll be a time when God brings the new city, the new Jerusalem, as Revelation 21 said. And the distinction between heaven and earth will diminish. It'll be a place of harmony and unity. It'll be a place of, of love It'll be a place of perfection. It'll be a heavenly kingdom. And so we long for that day. I long for that day. Because in that new heaven and new earth, God and his people will live in perfect unity. In the new heaven and new earth, we will live in perfect unity with one another and with our heavenly father. It's marked by perfect fellowship. And when I think of perfect fellowship today, and most of our folks, when we think of perfect fellowship, there's a casserole and some ham and sweet tea. I'm not sure if it'll be there in heaven, in this new place, but it sure couldn't hurt. That's what we think about perfect fellowship where we're kind of together and there's food and we're at the table, right? The table of God. And we have perfect fellowship with one another. God and his people dwelling together in unity, in righteousness. And it's going to be so amazing, so awesome, so wonderful, but none of us are going to remember the old thing. That's what Isaiah tells us. It's going to be so amazing that none of us are going to remember the old thing, this thing we're living in right now. We're not going to remember it. Because it'd be so amazing. I, I, I can't wait for that day because right now, there are times in my life where I look back and say, oh, wouldn't it be so awesome to be back at that time? That, that time in our life was so amazing. Uh, oftentimes it was less burdens, less issues, right? Pre-kids, you know, those kind of things. I had a lot more time and money. But you, you think back, and we, look, we, we have a tendency to look back at the good old days. No matter how old you are, you look back. 
And God is telling us in this moment, we experience that perfect harmony, that perfect unity with our Heavenly Father and with each other. We won't care about what's happened because it'll be a place of perfection. It'll be so wonderful that we won't remember and we sure won't need to remember the old. And so as we look forward to a new heaven and new earth, how do we live today in anticipation of that day? Because the scripture in, in 1 Peter talks about this day of God in verse 12. He says the day of God. Now, if, if you have been around church a while, you might have heard the phrase the day of the Lord, which Peter also mentions. The day of the Lord is the, the day that Christ will return to judge the wicked and the dead and the living. But the day of God is a different day. The day of God is the, the day that God establishes his heavenly kingdom forever. And so if I'm looking forward to that day, because I know on the day of the Lord, I'll be with him because of my faith in Jesus. So I don't have to worry about that day. But if I look forward to the day of God, the day that his eternal kingdom will be established, how should I live right now in anticipation of that perfect harmony, that perfect unity, heaven as a place on earth and heaven and earth together where God is dwelling with me? How should I live? Well, Peter tells us in the passage just after what I read today for us. So if you still have your Bible open, I want to invite you to look at verse 14 of 2 Peter 3. It says, therefore, beloved, and anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to read the previous three paragraphs because it's written there because of what just was written beforehand. So therefore, because of all these things being true, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. To be diligent that means you're working hard at it. You're staying the course. You're not backing down. You're not swayed left or right. You're resolute to be found in him without spot or blemish. You're living out righteousness right now. And you're at peace. You're at peace with all people and with your heavenly father. And so our challenge how should we live today is to remain diligent in our faith, to trust in the things that are unseen, not to let the seen, the things of this world, the circumstances that surround us, the strife, the envy, the struggle, the hatred, the bitterness, all of those things that our world possesses today, to not be distracted by them, but to keep our eyes of faith on Christ and to, to walk by faith, not by sight. And to pursue righteousness, to flee from sin, to run away from it, not see how close we can get to it without falling, to pursue it, to demonstrate it for others, and to live at peace with all people, to be people of unity, rather than popping off on Facebook 
We pray for those folks who are having the argument. Because we as believers, the world is looking at us, right? The world is judging us based on how we treat each other. And God said the world could do that. The world could judge us based on how we love and give grace to each other, how we live in unity and harmony together. And so if we want to look forward to that day, then may we live at peace with one another and with our Heavenly Father. And as we do that, let me remind you that it's not just about you. It's not just about you. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to just live a, a good life for Jesus and sort of not worry about anybody else. I'm going to worry about me. No, that's not what this book says. That's not what the command of Jesus Christ says. If you and I are going to look forward to the day of God, the day when we get to celebrate for all eternity a relationship with him, a perfect relationship, then you know what? Let's bring some other people to the party, please. And so look for the person who's hurting, who's struggling, who's angry, who has a, an invalid view of heaven. And let's walk beside them. Let's encourage them. Let's give them the truth of the gospel that they can understand that they can have peace and power as well. Because heaven is not about us four and no more. Heaven is for everybody. And I want to do all that I can to bring as many people as I can to the supper table, to the party that Jesus offers us. And so as you pursue faith, Invite others to experience faith. As you pursue righteousness, a right relationship with God, bring others along in the pursuit of righteousness. As you stay in your lane and you live at peace and you do what you're supposed to do, encourage others to do the same. And by your word and your deed, both of those things, you'll help people see the beauty and the grace that Christ offers. And you might bring them to the table so they will experience the new heaven and new earth with us. And so let's walk together toward that day when we can all celebrate in eternity. Will you pray with me?